Hey, I'm Johnny Congos. Blast off to the music universe. Oh, buddy, I'm excited about this one today. This is this was uh, one of my harebrained ideas because I've loved this band for quite a while, but it turned out to be a fantastic conversation. Johnny Congos of the band Congos, four brothers who do some really unique rock and roll music. Yeah, and you know, one may think with all the news and all the releases and all the involvement I have with music that I would know about everybody, but I, I honestly don't. And you actually told me about him and uh, showed me a video that had used one of their songs. And I'm like, cool, let's let's do it. And uh, really fun, in-depth conversation with Johnny from his home studio. So you actually hear him on a really pro microphone like we're using. Yes, it was it was really great. And you know, you, you mentioned that before we get to the interview. It's funny you mentioned that because even with me, I think we talked about on one of these, you know, raps that we do, I think I mentioned this before, it almost becomes, it, it's almost like you feel a personal embarrassment. It's like, well, if it's so prevalent, why haven't I heard it? You know, why why is this my point of discovery? And you get embarrassed about, not having heard uh, somebody's music before. I'll use Michelle Wright as an example. I just didn't know about her, uh, but you're more familiar with 90s music. And I got to know a little bit about her while I was in Nashville. And now I'm a fan. And I forget yeah. who I used as an example the last time I said it, but that point of discovery, no matter if it's a really established artist or an artist that you're finding before anybody else does, or somewhere in the middle, like I guess you could say is the case with the Congos, where they've had music out there and have been prevalent on radio and in playlists, but, you know, don't tour at a, at a huge, huge level that they're, you know, would be in your face. That point of discovery can be really cool because it's like, oh, yes, I discovered this person's music when I saw them on such and such show, and now I can't stop listening to it. Well, you know, that that's the cool thing about yeah being in this industry is you're always turning over new rocks, new leaves and, and finding new cool music. Well, and it, yeah, it can be embarrassing because I'll tell you, my dad always listened to classic rock like Led Zeppelin and, and, you know, Eric Clapton, everybody like that. But it wasn't until my last band that I really became a fan of Zeppelin. Like I, I'd hear him, but you know, I, I grew up listening while well, he played that stuff all the time. I grew up listening to Van Halen and Bon Jovi and U2. Mm. And I got into nineties country and, you know, 92. And so 30 years into that, you know, but um, to have discovered Zeppelin and discover, you know, some of these artists when they're well beyond what they've ever done for music you know uh i was in my i guess mid to late 20s when i discovered some of them and actually became a fan on that level yeah that can be embarrassing because like how did you grow up listening to this but not appreciate it it just wasn't my right. cup of tea then but then mm. as you get older you start to recognize the impact artists have and you start to really dive into their history sometimes and really see what they've done and and their influence so it, it's cool and uh, i'm glad we've discovered congos now rather than later so come with us now as we interview johnny congos johnny congos one fourth of the congos of congos the band 
How are you, sir? Welcome I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good to chat with you all. Oh, it is a pleasure to chat with you. What's the what's the symbol on your hat? You got to give me a dollar and I'll answer that question. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Quick, that's Matt, great. send him a dollar through PayPal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love unique hats like that. No, it's, it's good to have you. So, Congos, I've been a fan since I was, gosh, in high school, at least high school. Oh, yeah, great. Wow, college. that's cool. And um, the music, you guys have such an international background. How does that factor into your music and your inspirations? Well, you know, we get asked this question a lot. And I think the fact that we've lived in different places, you know, I was born in London then I lived in Johannesburg. We were in LA for the last four or five years. Now we're out in Austin. So yeah, mm -hmm. we've, we've bounced around a lot and that's definitely informed the music, but more than anything, I would say it was our dad's record collection. Our dad is a singer, songwriter, producer, really successful in his own right, but he was obsessed with music and had a massive record collection. So we just grew up listening to literally everything i mean like you name it we were listening to it and i think that was the biggest influence in our music because our music is perhaps hard to like nestle into one neat little box and i think it's because we had so many different influences from around the world that we've melded or merged into this weird thing that sounds like congos now you know i love it yeah and i love that blend of of musicianship that you guys have and we have a debate on this show quite often and it's and it's friendly because we love all, all all kinds of music but about electronic music and you know how do you do it live how can you uh how does it come across and before we get to that i'm just curious you know i know you're one of the programmers for the group how do you guys decide we're going to do instrumentation here we're going to do something with the computer on this part of the song how is that balance determined with your music? We are very agnostic when it comes to how and with what tools the music's made. Like we're mm -hmm. not opposed to anything. If, if it sounds right and it works for the song, we're good with it. So, um, you know, very often because we all write, we all program, we're all kind of pretty f proficient in, in the, you know, DAWs, the software and, and its instruments and everything. A lot of times we'll come up with a fairly finished product to present to the band and say, here, this is what I've been working on. Where, where can we improve this? And something, you know, a lot of times you'll say, well, look, yeah, we need real drums on this. We need a real bass. It needs to feel more alive in that way. Other times we've said, no, leave it. Like it's not going to improve it, adding this or adding that. So it really is, everything serves the song and the final recording ultimately. So we're not opposed by any means to electronics or not using electronics, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you guys, um, try to or maybe not try but do you guys like duplicate that live to a t or are you guys just kind of more along the lines of just kind of go with whatever happens on stage i think you know for certain songs like when we play come with me now or i'm only joking there's a bit of an expectation that it's going to sound relatively close to what the record sounds like so we take some liberties like when we play come with me now we extend the accordion kind of solo jam section quite a bit. So it gives mm -hmm. me a little bit more freedom to play on that. But we, you know, on those songs, we try and replicate it 
close-ish to the record. Other songs, we kind of drop everything that's on the record, do it entirely different. And in fact, what we've been doing a lot more of lately is just doing completely, we've been going to a couple like open mic nights out in the middle of nowhere, like an hour outside Austin, just going and testing stuff out where there's nobody there, like no one knows who we are, and we can just do things, you know, uh, and, it's, and it's been great because we've been coming up with completely different versions of songs just on like two acoustic guitars and an accordion, seeing what that sounds like. And, you know, there's, a, there's something kind of nice about that, not having the whole setup, the crew, you know, the the 3000 uh cables that can go wrong during a show you know like we've got three instruments and three voices and that's it yeah because i i know with playing to um like i guess tracks like that of program stuff I mean, yeah. anything can go wrong and it can just cause the whole set to be lost really yeah i mean we've had one or two of those kind of disastrous moments on stage whether it's uh a computer going down or sometimes it's the mix the monitoring console we had a big one years and years ago we were playing a life is beautiful festival in uh vegas we had this amazing slot like probably a better slot than we deserved and it was like you know <laughs> friday night 9 p.m big stage ten thousand people there and our monitor board went down so there's just mm -hmm. like 10 minutes of us on stage going oh man it's it, that feeling you understand the relativity of time when, when that happens, because it felt like four hours. <laughs> I get that, you know, and don't, don't talk, you don't talk down about, Oh, better than we deserve. Do you know, I can't go anywhere without at least hearing him come with me now once on some speaker somewhere. I mean, you guys are everywhere now. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we've been really fortunate with that. I think that song has been played ad nauseum, as they say. I know there's a lot of people who are like enough already, but we're happy. <laughs> we're we're fine with it. Just keep keep the keep the dollars rolling in. <laughs> Can't pay the bills. Well, yeah, exactly. and um, I, I'm seeing part three of your 1929 series is set for later this year. <laughs> no, we actually finished that up. Uh, when was it? It was like uh, I want to say June. 10th early june oh, we wow. finished put out the last song on that album so that trilogy kind of is closed and we're just kind of on to new material now we've got a, a new song that came out beginning of july or no we're in beginning of july now must have been i've got my dates mixed up within the last month or so we put a brand new single out called broken that's been doing really well you know no you know it's, it's so hard because we're an independent band now to try and run a radio campaign we just don't have the it you know comes down to basically cash you need a war chest to go to radio and right. you know <laughs> wine and dine the program director sort of thing uh um, but yeah, so that's what we're on. It, you know, the way things work with Spotify and that it's just single after single, you know, we have to kind of play that algorithm game and just, you know, keep it single after single. And then eventually we put things together as an album. So there's some cohesiveness to it and, um, allows us to tell a more kind of longer story. Love that. I love that. And I love that you're the accordion player on come with me now. That instrumentation is just so addicting. It was it was my introduction to you guys. Tell tell me about the creative process for that song and and how that came to be. Let's see. I mean, I wrote that song. I want to say in two thousand eight, yeah, and wow. it took 
a good couple of years to get a recording. We were happy with it. We put out it, it, 2011, so three years after we'd written, I'd written it, we finished recording it. We sent "I'm Only Joking" another song to South Africa that exploded, went like number one yep. all the rock stations. Followed up with "Come With Me Now" and had a hit end of 2011, 2012. Then came back to the states and spent two years trying to convince people, like, dudes, this is a song we think it's got some legs to it. You know, let's give it a shot. Let's go to radio. Nothing stuck. No one cared. Like, no one wanted to hear it. And it, it took another two years before it it became a hit. So that's six years after we wrote it. So, you know, luckily we kept at it and I think believed in something that was something special to the song. Uh, Mm -hmm. And just, and we had that proof of a small, but kind of important market for us, South Africa. So we weren't just like the crazy people on American Idol being like, it's a great song. And everyone's like, no, it sucks. Um, (laughs) You know, we, we had, we kind of had proven like, look, no, if you get, people to hear this song they're gonna dig it uh so yeah we did that writing it it was very much influenced by at the time a south african style of music that was really popular called kwaito which is kind of like house like european english house music but Mm -hmm done with African influence. So it's this really weird blend that happens a lot in South Africa because South Africa is Africa, obviously, but it's very much European influence in terms of the electronic music scene. But what happens there is they create these magical new things out of like ordinary European house turns into something totally different in South Africa. And they're constantly doing it. The young kids in South Africa is just creating these amazing new styles of music that influenced us a lot and continue to. That's incredible. Being uh, an indie band, I know you said it's difficult for the the radio side. Are, Are you finding it difficult across the board? I mean, you guys played live life is beautiful fest so that's that's a big accomplishment but or are you finding that with spotify and beating that algorithm at times that you're finding new fans like daily yeah i mean it's it's a bit of both because like we have more access than ever to just put music out there's no middlemen I mean, other than Spotify themselves or the big middleman or, you know, Apple Music, not to pick on Spotify or anyone in particular. But I think the problem that we're running into that almost every band, every content creator, everything is running into, like there's 40 to 60,000 songs that come out on Spotify every single day. So that ends up being, I forget what it is, the math, it's like over 2 million a year, if my math is right on that, something like that. And that number's changing. That's the last, whatever I last heard that stat. So you're just trying to stand out from this noise. And it, it still basically comes down to having a machine behind it to be able to lift it up, to get important playlist editors or curators to pay attention to it. So that's, I think that's the struggle that we're facing, that most bands are facing, even major bands are facing, because, you know, it's just, there's a deluge of content and trying to rise to the top of that is difficult. But at the same time, you know, we just keep making music and, you know, hope that if it's good enough, eventually something sticks and gets some attention. I love that. And people obviously... You know, you have a core fan base and a great fan base. Uh, was Come With Me Now, did that have label support and now you guys are independent or have you been independent all along? 
We well, we were independent. We finished that album was out. The late we eventually signed with the label Epic Records when that song was basically on its way to being a hit, and they came in basically sprayed gas on the fire, you know, because it was it was already moving up the charts. That's why there was interest. Because prior to that, no labels were interested. You know, they're <laughs> very often they're not ahead of the game. They're kind of waiting to see that a band's done half the work for them. Right. Um, later down the line, we just, we couldn't, the relationship got too difficult, like with what we were trying to do and it, it just wasn't working. So we, we separated from them and the last three albums have been entirely independent. The 1929, uh, three albums has been basically just us putting it out, trying to, you know, figure out our, our way on that. I never ask it this candidly, but you're being so open with us. Do you like it better or do you wish to, that you had label support for these projects? Most of the time, honestly, we thought of like, and most uh, most bands, I think, think of labels like banks. So yeah, I would love to have a bank behind us, paying us money. You know, like it, it basically comes down to that. Now, it's not to say that there aren't great people that work at labels. Like, it's not all bad. There obviously there are people there that are oh, great sure. ch champions of music. Whether it, you know, it's finding one of those people is. It's very hard. We went. We had two or three different A and R people. You know, from the people that signed us to then you end up working with someone who wasn't there in the beginning, doesn't care. That you know, it was basically like you get an email every couple months, like oh, so and so was fired, or they moved over to Universal. And dealing with that when you're, you know, this is a family band and a family business. Like we're in this for the long haul, so we have a very clear vision of what we're trying to do and we're dedicated to it. Everyone else, we're, we're ultimately just another band, you know, like, can we get some money out of this band, squeeze some money? So it didn't work for us. Obviously, there are artists that it has worked amazingly for, and there are some of the classic artists you see, like Bob Dylan was with Columbia for what, like 40, 50 years, and obviously yeah. had a great relationship there. Um, it's also, I think it's probably a power dynamic. We never got to the point where we had the power to, demand what we needed you know right right yeah and uh, a lot of people don't realize this too if they're not in the industry but that that bank has to be reimbursed yeah well yeah i mean it's it's real it's not quite reimbursed but like you get an advance against future royalties like we we never owed them money but basically until you until the record makes back what they initially advanced you you're not right. making any money. So yeah, it can, it's, it can be deceiving even when someone sees that someone got a million dollar record contract, which we didn't get that, unfortunately, but <laughs> just use it a round number, you know, you see the breakdown of where that all goes. And it's, you know, it's not, you know, there's, it's, it's the best job in the world, but it's still, you know, it's, it's tighter than I think most people presume that it is. Right. It's, it's definitely a business. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about this recently uh, completed trilogy did i hear you right you live you live in austin as in austin texas correct yeah we just we all just moved out here just over a year ago we were in los angeles before that uh but kind of made the move out here last year and i know your your manager who we were speaking with has a nashville area code so has being in the south or at least involved in the music industry in the south influenced your sound at all recently do you know, we're, 
basically still just getting set up. Like we, I've just finished mm-hmm. putting together this room. So I wouldn't say like we've f- fully immersed ourselves yet in the Austin scene, which obviously is a really thriving and great scene out here. What has changed, I think, immediately off the bat, like we were in LA, we were, our studio at the time was on between Sunset and Hollywood, right next to Highland. So like literally in the belly of the beast amongst the madness and just the craziness that is like the center of Hollywood. Now I'm out here, like I look out my window and I can see deer. So it's like, it's definitely changed our, uh, mental state our psychology how we think about it i just had a daughter my first daughter last year thank you thank you yeah so our it's not that our i mean obviously my priorities have changed in terms of my life but in terms of our career we still have the same priorities of trying to you know rate write good music that's successful but there's something that's different everywhere that you are that affects how that music is you know like i think in la people and definitely us got get caught up in like it's it's so competitive and so like it's mm-hmm. just like a grind every single day that that affects the music sometimes positively brings a certain kind of energy and then sometimes negatively i think it because it brings a a bit too much of a focus on perhaps like pure commerciality right yeah and that's why we like chatting a lot of times with independent artists too because they bring that to reality, so to speak. Like people that are huge artists on these labels often, you know, have have a different, not objective, but you know, the labels have to tell them, yes, we do the, you know, we approve this or we don't. Yeah. And artists like you guys, you can just do what you want, what you love, and release it when you feel the need to. Like you said, you're constantly releasing new music to, to keep yeah. that going. So yeah, I mean, like the it's what if when you're your own boss though you have all the responsibility and failure lands on you like we can't blame a label for screwing up a release now because it's us (laughs) (laughs) or we can blame it but it ends up yeah we're like shit we should have done a better job with that well it's all it's all learning and you know you guys have that feedback with with your fans and stuff but i I see that there was like a three-year gap between uh part two and parts one and two or 19 and then parts three this year did you do a lot of recording during the the lockdown yeah we did um on it the the main reason for the gap because we were releasing songs already from part three i think in one or two and 20 maybe one or two and 21 it was basically this move out to texas because the whole family moved out like even like when my parents moved out from they were in phoenix moved out to austin like we kind of reconsolidated our entire family here Mm -hmm. so it was a big bigger move than we'd anticipate and it just basically life took up a lot of time trying to just get situated so we're feeling a little more settled now to hopefully get back on a more regular schedule um but yeah we definitely recorded a lot during the pandemic or at least during the kind of lockdown portion of the pandemic um but we you know we always record a lot like that's that's kind of what we do but it was nice like we couldn't tour so just put it out of your mind you're like well only can all thing only thing we can do is record so we might as well just do a lot of it right yeah right and speaking of live uh, are you getting back to touring? Where can folks uh, 
kind of catch you this summer and the rest of the year? I, do you know, I don't foresee a ton of, of playing uh, out like any big shows or tours this year. Um, we, we played a festival in Mexico City or just outside Mexico City in uh, May, played a show mm-hmm. in Phoenix. But I think we're really going to just focus more on recording this year. Um, it's still like things are opening back up and that, but as a smaller independent band, trying to book a tour where one, you know, positive test takes two weeks out of your schedule is just like financially destructive. So we're still trying to figure out our best angle on that. And right now it makes more sense for us to just focus on recording, trying to get more heat happening, you know, in streaming and that sort of thing. Yeah. I know a lot of, uh, even, huge acts are having issues with that and they're um they're cutting back across the board too because yeah i mean we're seeing like friends of ours that are in bigger bands than us you see them go out and tour and you're like oh cool they're heading back on the road then you see the instagram post three weeks later oh we had to shut down for two weeks and it's like we simply can't afford to take that you know buses cost a lot of money and every day that you're not touring you can't just get a refund from the bus company so it's that kind of stuff we're still trying to figure out the most intelligent way for a smaller band like ourselves to do that but you know definitely would love to get back on the road but realistically i feel like it's probably more likely next year Mm -hmm. that would be well i can't wait to come see you i i hope to catch you up here in the DC area and buddies out in Bakersfield. So hopefully we will see you on the road next year. Yeah. I I mean, DC is definitely one of our kind of first go-to spots. We've always had amazing shows there and the the response is always great in DC. One of our favorite places to play. Plus Ethiopian food in DC is like, we come to DC just for the Ethiopian food. Cause where is it? We played like U street music hall, which I'm guessing Mm -hmm. is on U street. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Great Ethiopian restaurants for like that. Half the reason we tour is to go out to to like go eat good food. <laughs> oh, that, that's it. that's a great part of it because you get to uh, check out yeah new locations and yeah. cities and skylines and food, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Johnny Congos of the of Congos, thank you very much. This has been a really fun chat. I really enjoyed it. I know Buddy did. But he had fun as well. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. I always said the next time I do music, I wanted to be independent as far as, you know, not having a Mm -hmm. label attached to it because of just all the headache that that can cause, not to put any of that down. But you look at what they're going through and they've Mm -hmm. had a lot of success. You know, they're playing Life is Beautiful. They're they're playing all these festivals. They're becoming world renowned in many different Mm -hmm. ways. And it makes you well, want to work harder at it. Well, think about it. You know, it, it's such a, it, it's a kind of a lockbox puzzle to figure it out. You have, if you don't have a label, as he said, the financing can be more difficult. Mm-hmm. If you do have a label, they're going to put your music everywhere. Or even if you are independent, your music's going to be everywhere. So we've commodified the song and the songwriter. I'm going to sound like Garth here in a minute. <laughs> in a way that it that it wasn't you know 15 20 years ago right okay uh if you're touring because you had a you have a strong following in the people who do like your music who have found it on the platforms that pay you one tenth of a penny for every five streams or whatever the hell ridiculous number it is 
That's great, but your overhead, if you're independent, is going to eat your freaking behind. Mm -hmm. I mean, alive. I'll tell you, it's just crazy, which is why, as insane as you think this is, the truth is the new writer's room, the new fanfare, the new anything that would that would is sort of proof of concept for an artist is TikTok. Yeah. It just I mean, is. I, uh, I don't disagree. I still don't like the platform because it's just you know, right. a lot no, of No, you, you can have your feelings it, about it, but it's just the truth. The reason, yeah, I, and I've said this a million times, and I probably said this a bunch of times interviewing people who have good followings on TikTok when we were in Nashville, is what's surprising to me is the amount of investment and engagement. So you take somebody like Thomas Mack or Cooper Allen or Congos and you go, okay, they have so many followers. And of that many followers, they're able to sell out dates. Cooper and Tom, I don't know what Congo's uh, TikTok following is. We, as you heard, we didn't talk about that. But they're able to sell out dates based on this TikTok presence. You never heard that, you know, somebody showed up to, Pam, you know, a million people showed up to Pamela Anderson's book signings because she had 3 million followers on Instagram. So TikTok is really supporting engagement in a way in online, in a way that previous platforms used to get accused of diminishing. So it's really, it's really, really yeah. fascinating to me. And, and that is the, I think, key to that lockbox of how does an independent artist succeed? Because once they see that you have that following and the people follow you, then the promoters will come, then the sponsors will come. And whether or not you want a label, Thomas Mack said to me, he says, he goes to me, he goes, uh, he said something to me. I said, do you have a label? He goes, no, I own all my stuff with a smile, you know, with that, you know, smirk. Right. I'm like, smart man. So there's yeah. a new system in town and there are people who really know how to work it, but that's yeah. my high horse. So. Well, and I think more or less the lines I would want to go given, you know, you hear all these things would probably be a distribution deal where you own all the copyrights, you own all the publishing. And I, and they're and I will say, yeah. I will say it is, it, it is a shame. I will say it is a shame that um, they aren't on the Congos in particular, aren't on a bigger tour. Cause I'm sitting here listening to him talk about when they're going to get back into tour. I'm like, Dropkick Murphys is all over the place yeah. these days. You, you would be a perfect pairing to support yeah. Dropkick Murphys. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we'll see what they do in 2023. We'll have more electronic music folks on so that you and I can at a later time get into the, the uh, merits <laughs> and detractions of, of uh, loop <sighs> music and computer created music. But that's for another time. Uh, because we're, we've been on long enough so we're probably gonna have a episode where it's just you and i debating that for an hour because that's about what <laughs> i have a very next. nuanced take and you have a very blanket take and that is what uh, that is where i will leave it for the music universe podcast i'm matt and i'm buddy thanks for listening and watching be sure to hit that like subscribe and share button it's always free with us and be sure to check us out at the music uni on socials and the musicuniverse.com if you want the latest news and matt's concert reviews take care uh -huh.